Church, if you could open your Bibles to Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not give... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There's a pastor. His name's Alistair Begg. He's a Scotsman. He says that it's the job of the preacher, the pastor, to scatter seed. When you're preaching, you simply scatter seed, hoping that the seed will grow, hoping that you're scattering on good soil. But as you scatter the seed, you realize that it's not your responsibility to grow the seed. The Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but the Lord makes it grow. Do you know what my prayer was this morning for you and for me is that the Lord would make it grow. That the seed that is scattered here would fall upon the good soil that the good Lord Jesus Christ has laid down in our hearts. And that he would, as Micah prayed, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, enlightening the eyes of our hearts. Because we need the work of the Holy Spirit to see what God wants us to see so that we would grow in Him. That's a a work that the Holy Spirit can only do in our lives today. We need for Him to show us, to open our eyes. We we were on vacation this week. It was like a it was kind of a tease. It was a three day getaway in Fort Pierce. You know, it's just enough for you to want more and then have to come back and think, okay, I got to start planning my next vacation. Anybody ever done that before? You go on a vacation and before you get off your vacation, you're already planning your next vacation because you like your vacation so much that you think you need another one right away. That's us. That was us this week. We were planning our vacation from our vacation, and so happy summertime. Uh, am I the only one that's done that, by the way? Anybody else? Can I, can I, the confession time? There we go. There we go. Few of us, only three of us. The rest of you have had your fill of vacations and you don't need a plan anymore. So just give them my way. All right, I'll take it. Um, 
and when we went to uh, we went to Fort Pierce, we went to the beach uh, right near Sanibel Island. Uh, really pretty place in our state. If you haven't been there, it's beautiful. We love going over there because we love the Gulf Coast. Uh, the waters are calm, they're clear, uh, and there's lots of sea critters in there. My kids like finding like hermit crabs and conch and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, we we just ha- had a blast. One of the days we were there, we rented a, a pontoon boat. And um, I was the pontoon boat captain, right? I, I knew how to drive a pontoon boat. I've driven a pontoon boat before. My dad showed me how to drive a pontoon boat. And so when we went to the pontoon boat rental place called Marina Mike's, which we actually went out of the way to get there. We, we Side note, we drove like 20 minutes to get there to the wrong Marina Mike's. And we realized the real Marina Mike's was only two miles away. Um, and so open the eyes of my heart, Lord. <laughs> and so we rented the pontoon boat and, uh, a man, Caleb, that was there was, was showing me a few things about the pontoon boat. Hey, Caleb, I'm good. I don't need you to show me anything about the pontoon boat. He says, yeah, but you do need me to show you this. He said, you see that open water out there? I said, yep. He said, don't drive it out there. I'm like, what do you mean? Don't drive it out there. It's open water. That's where I have to go. He's like, if you drive it out in the open water out there, you're going to be beached on a sandbar and I'm going to have to go and tow your butt out of there as fast as you've left here. So don't drive it out there. And he said, here's what you need to see. And so he started to show me, he said, see, if you look along the, the coastline, there's, there's channel markers and there are these big poles with red and green sign on them. And, and you have to drive the boat between the channel markers. He says, if you drive between the channel markers, you're good. You don't have anything to worry about. But if you don't follow the channel markers, then you know, you're in trouble. You're going to be beached and somebody's going to have to tow you out of there. And it's not going to be a fun trip for you. And so uh, he's got my attention now. And, and my eyes start to see some things that I didn't see before. My eyes start to see these channel markers because I realize that if, if I don't follow these channel markers, then everybody in the boat's going to be complaining. And so uh, we start going, and as we're, we're going, I'm just really getting used to this drive, you know, riding the boat in the intercoastal of the Gulf Coast, and, and I'm following the channel markers, and there's a, a point in which I don't really know where the channel markers are taking me. It could take me this way, or it could take me this way. And so I go this way, and, and sure enough, as we're driving the boat, the bottom of the boat starts to scrape the, the sandbar. And my first thought was, oh no. Carrie and the kids are going to have to get out of this boat and push us off of this sandbar because I'm surely not going to do it. And so, um, so I, second thought was just to pray. Uh, so I, I, I erased the first thought from my mind because I would have been in trouble for that one. And, and then I just started to, to pray, uh, but surely enough, turned off the boat, started it again, engine started up, and then we just kind of puttered through and got through it. And then I, I was looking for those channel markers again. And when I found those channel markers, I knew I was on the right path. And the rest of the day was, was a, a, a magnificent day. We went to a place called Lover's Key, uh, and we, uh, we docked at these certain areas of the, the, the Gulf there and uh, got to drive the boat right along the Gulf. People told me not to do it. I didn't have to listen to them. It was fine. There was no rough waves. It was a marvelous time. Uh, but one of the things that I realized there is that, you know, we, we go through these times in life where we're actually, we actually think we see our surroundings and we know how to navigate our surroundings pretty well. But, but in reality, we're blind to some stuff, aren't we? 
I, I know I've done a lot of premarital counseling. And when I do premarital counseling, it, it, it's interesting because you have this couple that's in love. They're, they're giving their life to one another and they're committing to themselves until death do us part. And I know 12 years later in my marriage, when I was in that place of premarital bliss and euphoria, I had no idea what I was committing to. I had no idea what I had to see in life, what I had to go through in marriage, what we had to go through in our family to be where we're at today. But do you know one of the things that was so powerful in our marriage and so powerful even in that, in that, in that engagement moment is that, is that God so lovingly and delicately carries you through when your eyes are fixed upon him. And that's the nature of biblical Christianity, is that our eyes must be fixed upon the God who gives us vision for life, who shows us how we are called to live. And that ultimately, the eyes are simply the gateway to the heart. Let me say that again. Your eyes are just your gateway to the heart. It's not necessarily what you see that matters. It's how you absorb what you see into your heart that matters. You see, the problem is not with our eyes and what we see. The problem with not having a spiritual vision in life is that the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. You, you know that that the, the great warnings that we see in scriptures comes from our eyes. In fact, one of, the, one of the things that we see repeated in the scriptures that even Jesus says is that eyes to see and ears to hear. Eyes to see and ears to hear. He, Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Because it's better that you go to heaven with one good eye and one bad eye than go to hell with two functioning eyes but be forever, eternally away from the holy and righteous God who created you. Better to lose your sight than to lose your love of the Lord. And so the the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. I mean, think about it. If you struggle with covetousness, covetousness is because you see something that you want and you say to yourself, I must have that thing. And that thing becomes so important to you that you'll do anything to get that thing. And even when you place that thing over and above God, you think that it's more important than who God is. And the danger that we face is that we would is that we would see things with our eyes and want them with our hearts and our hearts would seek satisfaction and significance from the things that we see rather than from the God who's beautiful, who shows us himself. And so today, the spiritual vision we're talking about is from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, just a small part. We're just taking morsels of this prayer asking God to make them real uh, in our lives today, that the things that Paul prays for for the church in Ephesus would be the things that become reality in our lives, that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened, that the eyes of your hearts 
would be enlightened. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. The eye is the lamp of the body. It's the gateway to the soul. If that eye is healthy, then your your body, the, the, the person that God has made you to be, will be healthy and growing in the Lord, growing in the knowledge of who he is. And so we're learning lessons from this prayer. And the first lesson we learn as we seek that God would open our eyes is, number one, we must pray for a growing awareness of our sinfulness. If you're going to see the the world as God wants you to see it, you have to know that there is a problem in the heart that needs to be dealt with. You have to know that there's a blindness in your life that that needs to be made known to you. And that that our, our lives are sinful. That you have to grow an awareness of the sinfulness of your life if you're going to ever see God. Now, I I know this is not popular talk today. We would much rather call it mistakes or bad choices. I I hear it even in in, in the way sometimes I I parent my kids is I don't want to call sin, sin because I think they might be offended. But offense is necessary. We have to see that we miss the mark when it comes to the holiness of God. Do you know if if in marriage or in relationships, if you don't see your sin, the problem is always going to be the other person. And you're never going to get anywhere. I've done lots of premarital counseling. I've done lots of postmarital counseling as well, where you have one person sitting on one side, the other person sitting on the other side, and their fingers are pointed like guns are drawn at the other person, saying the other person has the sin problem and they don't. But do you know what reality needs to sink in for our lives, in our marriage, in our relationships? This is if you're married or not, is that the problem is me. There's a growing awareness of my sin. But here's part of our challenge is that we look at the world around us and we are really good at spotting the problem in other people. The problems with their sin. I hate their sin. I, 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 if I'm a Republican, I hate the Democrat's sin. If I'm a Democrat, I hate the Republican's sin, right? There's these worldviews, these lenses by which we think that everybody else is a problem and we seek to justify ourselves. But what the gospel commands is that there's a growing awareness of our own sinfulness. A holy God would show you your sinfulness. Adam and Eve were in the garden. And when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they they sinned against the God who made them for perfect relationship with him. Gave them one command, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know that Adam and Eve didn't sin when they took the action of taking that fruit and eating it. They sinned long before that. They sinned when they made the decision that somehow that fruit would fulfill them more than God would. That's what sin is. Sin's not simply wrong action. Sin's not the, the, the bad things that we do. Sin's not breaking the rule. Sin's breaking God's heart. Sin is living contrary to the glory of God. Adam and Eve were commanded to live for the glory of God in obedience to Him. 
And they sinned against God when they believed that their glory was better than God's. So they wanted to see more than God had shown them. And sure enough, what did they see? The shame, the guilt, the condemnation of being separated from God. And do you know what God did? God didn't say, no big deal, Adam and Eve. Hey, listen, no big deal. He didn't do that. No, there's a curse. There's a curse. They were banished from the beauty of the Garden of Eden. Their first children, Cain and Abel. Abel would be murdered by his older brother, Cain, because of a covetousness. This envy, this strife that was in humanity in Adam and Eve has been in humanity ever since. The Apostle Paul says it this way, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Do you see that the channel markers are different when our eyes have not been enlightened to God, that there are channel markers that we are following, but it's the prince of the power of the air. We are following the channel markers of the sons of disobedience. We are running away from God instead of running to God. That's the natural state of humanity. No one is righteous. No, not one. The, the David, the poet, says it himself. Sinful from my mother's womb. We, we see that, that the sin problem is in all of us and we have to see it in ourselves. Do you know how you have a growing awareness of your sinfulness in prayer? You confess your sins. Knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Tim Keller says, only a holy God would show you your flaws and your shortcomings for the purposes of healing you. God doesn't show us our flaws and our shortcomings to crush us. He shows us our flaws and our shortcomings to heal us. The, the purpose of confession isn't that we would, we, we would wallow in our self-pity and sinfulness. The purpose of confession is freedom. Saying, God, take this. God, help me with this. God, give me eyes to see this. God, give me eyes for victory. God, show me the path forward. God, show me the direction you want me to walk. I mean, think about your sin struggles right now. The stuff that you haven't been able to deal with. The stuff that maybe you've been pushing under the rug. The stuff that you wake up saying, man, I wish, I wish this was over. Think about those things. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's arrogance maybe maybe you think that that you're just stuck in it and there's no way out of it but you know that confession is saying god help me i can't do it only you can see see the world says that our our problems are inadequacies and our problems can be dealt with with self-help Right? If you go on Amazon, I went on the self-help section of Amazon just doing a little experiment for the sermon yesterday. And I typed in self-help just, and it brought self-help books. Right, You had Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. You had the 4-Hour Work Week. You had all these popular self-help books. And it said, there, this is page 1, or self-help selection 1 through 10 of 60,000. 
There's over 60,000 self-help books that you can get on Amazon. Do you think the world doesn't realize that we have a problem, right? Now, here's the, here's the, the difference between the world and Christianity, is how does self help self out of the place that self got itself into in the first place, right? How does self help itself out of there? You, you can't. You need help outside of yourself. You need a help that will bring you up out of the muck and mire. Right now, you've been trying to figure out this thing in your own way, in your own life. Right now, you've been wondering, what self-help book can I buy? And I don't want to dismiss self-help books because they certainly can be valuable in life. I just think that the motivation of our heart needs to be addressed because when the motivation of our heart is addressed, we cry out not to self-help books to help us first. We cry out to the God of glory to help us first. And that's who we cry out to today because we know that God is holy And that we are sinners. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, Too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. You know, if you think lightly of your sin, you will think lightly of the work of Christ on the cross. That's a great tragedy. Because you won't be able to see the significance of what he did to free you from your sin your shame, and your brokenness. There's a a friend of mine, his name is Jim Green. He's a man that's in his 70s, had a long and prosperous career at Campus Crusade for Christ. Before he retired from ministry, he worked for Jesus Film, one of the most prolific evangelistic ministries of our generation. He, He was a man, him and his wife Nan had this beautiful marriage. They had these beautiful children. And it was such a joy to watch them from the outside looking in. And one of the, one of the uh, opportunities I had in my seminary degree was to interview someone in ministry that was older and wiser and more experienced than I was. And the first person that I thought, man, if I can get a couple hours with this guy and interview him, I would gain so much. I thought of Jim because I had seen his life. I'd seen the way he lived his life and, and how God had used him in a profound way. And, and when I asked him some questions about ministry, Jim was very honest and vulnerable. I, I really appreciated it because I had, I had put him on this pedestal in life and I asked him about his marriage. And, and you know what he told me? He said, my, my marriage was not as good as you think it was. He, I asked him about parenting. He said, you know what? It was much harder than you think. Now, he's got a a beautiful marriage. He's got these beautiful children that are about my age, and they're growing up in the Lord. He's got numerous grandchildren who are growing up in faith in Christ Jesus. And and his his answer to me was that it it wasn't easy. I needed God every step of the way. And then I I asked him the the last question. I said, "Hey, hey, Jim, in all your years of life and ministry, and experience, I said, what's the thing that surprises you most today? I mean, there's probably not much that would surprise a man in his mid-70s that's almost seen it all related to ministry. And he said, you know the thing that surprises me most, Ryan? Just how sinful my heart really is. And this is a guy that's, in my mind, perfect. But a guy who is so willing to confess, I have not arrived if, if, if you can't make that confession, I have not arrived. 
today. You need to make that confession now. You need to make that confession before you leave here. Because if not, your pride will blind you so much that you will think you have it all together and you are going to live like the self-righteous Pharisees of the Bibles who were the most helpless and hopeless people in all of the scriptures, the people who thought they had it all together. That you would see you have not arrived and that you would see the holiness of God. That's the second prayer for our spiritual vision. Pray that you would see the holiness of God, an increasing awareness of the holiness of God. Those two things come hand in hand. If you see the the depths of your sinfulness, then you'll see the, the heights of God's holiness. If you see the heights of God's holiness, you'll see the depths of your sinfulness. Isaiah, when he was, when he was, beginning his ministry in Isaiah chapter 6, you see this vision that Isaiah has. And this vision Isaiah has was these, these creatures called seraphim. They had six wings. With two, they covered their eyes. With two, they covered their legs or their feet. And with two, they flew. And, and they're not like these, these, little, these little cherubim, you know, the little angels that, that are kind of cute and chubby. These were like F-16 fighter jets of holiness encircling the throne of God. And these creatures that God made to tell of his holiness, their job is simply to encircle the throne of God and with a loud voice shout, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And as Isaiah sees this vision of the holiness of God, he cannot help but to say of himself, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. He saw the holiness of God. And it caused him to see his own brokenness and sinfulness. And as a result, Isaiah is the prophet of prophets. He's the one that prophesied the coming of Christ. He had to see the heights of God's holiness and the depths of his sinfulness. And God used him in a marvelous and miraculous way. And he says these famous words when God says, who will go for us? Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. Do you know if you see the heights of God's holiness and the depths of your sinfulness, you will do anything for God. Do you want to be a missionary? Do you want to be a servant of the Lord? Do you want to change your workplace? Do you want to change your neighborhood? Do you want to change your family? Do you want to change your community? It's going to happen when you see the heights of God's holiness and the depths of your sinfulness. Maybe you're a mom or a dad in here. Do you want to raise your kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? It's not happening unless you're given that spiritual vision unless you train them up to see and worship a holy God and to see that they're in desperate need of God's amazing and transforming grace this is this is real life stuff we need it we need that spiritual vision we need those channel markers to show us the way we should go R.C. Sproul says the Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that he is merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. 
The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or even wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It does say that he is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. Do you see that? When you leave today and you feel the Florida humidity stick to your skin, but you see the beautiful blue skies in about 4 p.m. as the thunder clouds roll in and the rain starts to dump on us and the booming thundering lightning comes through, do you know what the whole world is declaring? Holy, holy, holy! The whole earth is filled with his glory. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we praise. And when you see those things, you'll see the significance of the cross of Christ. And that's the third lesson in the school of prayer. That we would see the significance of the cross of Christ. That's what bridges the gap between a holy God and the sinfulness of man. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me right with God? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can take away those lustful thoughts? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can take away my slanderous heart? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can take away my jealousy? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because Jesus on the cross, you see a kiss that takes place. It's a collision that happens. The depths of our sin and the heights of God's holiness met its match through the blood shed and the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Paul saw this. This is why he prayed this prayer. He saw it. God gave him the vision of it. You, you know, Paul was blind and he thought he was walking in the will of God. He was persecuting Christians. Acts chapter 6, you see these deacons that are established. One of them's name was Stephen. Acts chapter 7, the newly established deacon was being stoned. Who was part of the entourage of the people stoning him? The, the apostle Paul, formerly Saul. He was holding the cloak of, of those who were killing the first martyr. He looked approvingly. The, the man who planted as many churches that this world would ever see. The man who wrote the epistles of the New Testament. The one who is writing this prayer for the church of Ephesus that we're praying for ourselves today is the one who realized that the scales had to fall from his eyes so that he would truly see the glory of God. And he saw it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, it's not the Christians you're persecuting, it's me. It's me. And then the scales fell from his eyes. And Paul saw the heights of God's holiness and the depths of his sinfulness. And he says in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a trustworthy saying deserving full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of who I am, the foremost. There is no sinner greater than Paul in Paul's own eyes. The same should be true of you today. And when you see that, do you know what it causes you to do? It causes you to go down on your knees and say, God, I need you. I need you. If that could be our life's cry, if that could be our life's cry, I need you, Lord. 
I mean, what, 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 else, what else could we do? I, I have it all together. I have a great career. I have a great family. Micah even said it earlier. What, what good is it to have sight if, and, and to see the ocean and, and to see this gymnasium if we cannot see the amazing grace of God? As John Newton says in the famous hymn, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind but now I see that the wretch was made into the glory of God through the blood shed of Jesus Christ. But God being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, it wasn't like you had it all together. And Jesus says, okay, you're good enough. So the, come on, come this way. You, 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 you've, you, you've kind of got, you've kind of got, got it, right? You're, you're obeying the law as good as you can. So, so come on, come over here. Everybody who's obeying the law as good as you can. Come on, everybody's going to say, okay, I'm doing that. Have you noticed that, that anybody who believes in heaven thinks they're going there? The Bible actually says the opposite. It's those who believe that they don't deserve it are the ones who Christ brings home with them. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. He took our dead, stone-cold hearts and he breathed life into them. That's salvation. Salvation. It's not like we were out in the ocean on a life raft hoping that a cruise ship would come along and save us. It was that we were in the ocean and our bodies were under the water about 50 feet and decaying was starting to settle in and there is a depth, a, 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 a deadness in our corpse and God through the riches of the mercy of Christ took his holy and mighty hand and scooped us up from that bottomless pit and he breathed life into us. That's salvation. Salvation is a complete work of Jesus Christ. Nothing to do with you. Everything to do with him. That's the grace of God. You can't earn it. It's a free gift. And when God opens your eyes, it is a free gift. This is illustrated really well in lots of stories of scripture. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the lame are healed. You see this illustrated in scripture. One of the most powerful stories for me is the story of Zacchaeus. You know the story of Zacchaeus was a wee little man, was a wee little man, was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree to see what he could see. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. He was a Jew who had betrayed his brethren for the Roman government. And he taxed the Jews for the enemy. And not only that, he tacked on a surcharge for his own well-being. That's Zacchaeus. Somehow Zacchaeus had heard about this man Jesus and he was coming through town. Zacchaeus, he gets out of the crowd and he wants to find, he's a short guy, right? Wee little man, he went up on the tree and he wants to see Jesus come through Jericho. And Jesus and his entourage are coming through Jericho. And Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Zacchaeus sees Jesus. And you know, the, the, the miracle that happened that day wasn't that Zacchaeus saw Jesus. It's that Jesus looked up and saw him. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, come down from there. 
I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus, come down from there. I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house. You could laugh at that. It was meant to be funny. <laughs> and so he goes to Zacchaeus' house, and there's all this chatter going on on the outside. How could he be with the tax collector? How this undeserving tax collector get the audience of Jesus, the prophet, the famous rabbi? Something happened in that conversation in that house to where at the start of the conversation, he was welcoming him in with a glad heart. At the end of the conversation, he was saying, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to pay them four times more than what I took from them. We don't see that Jesus had this conversation and says, hey, listen, Zacchaeus, we've got to talk about your bad behavior. Here's Zacchaeus, here's a list of rules that you have to follow. He simply saw Jesus and was changed by him. That was Zacchaeus. He saw the Savior and was changed by him. That's spiritual vision. That's when God plants the seed and makes the water come upon it in such a way that it grows. Good seed went into the good fruit of the tax collector who was a robber, a thief, and a liar. And guess who made it grow? God. And that day a miracle happened, says one author. He said, we saw a camel go through the eye of a needle. If you know the story, Jesus says, a rich man has entered the kingdom of heaven. There's hope for you and there's hope for me. And we need the vision of God for that hope. So we're settling on this passage because we want this to be reality. And I want to close in praying that this would become true of us today. I'm going to close in praying for three things. One, a prayer of confession. Two, a prayer of adoration. And three, a prayer of receiving God's grace. Confessing our sin, adoring God for his holiness, and receiving the grace and mercy of Christ on the cross. Father, I thank you. I thank you that like Paul, we can say that we are the foremost of sinners. And I thank you that we can say that because you've shown us that. And you show us that in order to heal us. And so God, I, I want to ask that you would call to our minds now the things that you want us to confess, just in our hearts, Lord. That we, God, out of the abundant mercy that you provide for us, would be able to say our struggles to you where we struggle to believe in you, where we struggle to trust you, where we struggle to walk in you. We'd just be able to say those things now. We'd confess those things. We ask for your healing. Father God, call those things to mind in our heart. Bring them to the surface and heal them, Lord. Show us the way out. Show us the way to you. God, show us that sin does not have the final say and that there is victory that we can find in you. God, give us eyes to see that. God, I, I pray that you would also give us eyes to see your holiness. Lord, when we, when we say those echoing words, holy, 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 I'm not so sure we really believe them. And so God, help our unbelief. 
Help us see that you are mighty and majestic. That you are righteous in every way. That God, you give life and life to its fullest. That God, you are a holy and mighty God. That you're a good father. And we worship you. You're worthy of our worship, God. That a, a holiness of you, God, would sustain us in those times where we don't, we don't think too highly of ourselves. But Lord, you would breathe life into us and give us the worth and value because we know that we have your righteousness and not our own. So show us your holiness. Finally, God, show us your grace. God, there's somebody in the room today that has never prayed the prayer, never asked you, to come into their life, never asked you to lead them, never realized the need for you to be a part of their lives. They've never followed you. God, show them your grace right now. God, open their eyes right now because the gift of grace, God, is the best gift. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing so that no one should boast, God. God, we're not here to boast in who we are. We're here to boast in who you are, Jesus. We're not here to boast in what we've accomplished. We're here to boast in what you've accomplished on the cross. God, fill us with your sweet affection in Christ's name. We worship you. Give us that grace. God, help us live life for your glory. That when you show us the channel markers of direction that we are to go, Lord. It's that we would know how to live for your glory, that wisdom and revelation would come and that everything that we know of you, God, would be true of our lives, our marriages, our professions, our futures, that it would be true of us. Grace, Lord, grace. Give us more grace. Grace upon us. And the church says together, amen.